if you're not getting multiple quotes or not testing the market, then your agent's not using a very powerful tool of leverage to drive your pricing down. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Drew McConaughey. How you doing, Drew? I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to hear that. And it's my pleasure. And best ever listeners, we have a special segment for you because today is Sunday, we are doing Skill Set Sunday, and here is the skill that you will acquire from Drew. You will learn the common pitfalls that we as real estate investors fall into from an insurance standpoint. It's not talked about very often, but it needs to be. So Drew is the co-owner of McConaughey Stradley Insurance, which insures thousands of doors across North America. He's consulted customers on over $30 million of insurance purchases. He's also got a partial stake in 11 nursing homes as an investor. So he's coming at it from an investor's perspective and he's based in Akron, Ohio. So with that being said, Drew, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. First of all, thank you for the introduction. I, it's really simple, right? So my family, we're all insurance people. Dad owned an insurance business. My uncle owned an insurance company. My sister's a reinsurance broker. So if your last name's McConaughey, there's a pretty good likelihood that you're in the insurance business. So that's great for SEO over a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Too bad the internet wasn't around 50 years ago. Yeah, that would have been very helpful. You're right. So I'm kind of the runt who has just the insurance agency, but I've always been interested in real estate. My first job out of college was in the real estate space. It was in 2007. Obviously, everybody listening knows what happened then, but we were refinancing skyscrapers in Los Angeles. So that was a quick lesson for me (laughs) and then jumped into the family business here of insurance. And then in 2015, gained 50% equity in this current business. So it's great. My day-to-day, I talk to real estate investors across the country, helping them navigate the increasingly complex environment that is insurance related to apartment buildings, essentially. So I'm sure all your listeners are seeing rates go up and we are trying to combat that in a myriad of ways. So that's my spiel. When real estate investors reach out to you, what are common questions that they ask you? How can I get my costs cheaper? That would be the most common question. Tell me your thought process when you hear that question, and then how do you answer it? Typically what I do on an introductory call, I say, okay, well, tell me a little bit about your building. Do you have aluminum wiring versus copper wiring? Right now, that's a huge thing. So a lot of time- Real real quick, are we talking any specific type of commercial real estate? Are we talking just residential? What primarily are you talking about? And does it matter that we have to make that distinction or not? Frankly, it doesn't really matter that much, but the area that I do the most work in is apartment buildings. A, B, and C class, typically apartment buildings across the country. I try and work on buildings that have 50 or more units and that's my sweet spot. Got it. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Please continue. You asked me about the wiring. Yeah. So I do a kind of a quick call. Tell me the ins and outs of your building. 
What type of wiring do you have? What type of panels are those wires connected to? There's four or five panels that were created in the 70s that have turned out to be very, very toxic, not in a pollution way, but they happen to catch on fire spontaneously. That's a problem. Uh, Yeah, exactly. The insurance companies have wised up to that. And if you have those panels, you can still get coverage, but it's 30 to 50% more expensive. And that's just one example. There's 10 different things we could talk about, but that's one example to say, okay, if you have that, here's where your cost differences would be if you would get those panels removed and replaced and updated. And I leave it up to the investor to make a business decision. Does it make sense over the long run? If I'm going to hold this building for 20 years, does it make sense for me to make this investment in the building? And is it going to pay itself off? So typically that's what I'm doing. If they ask that question, if the question is, how do I save money? The other question they ask is, how often does your broker bring you new quotes? That answer should be probably every year. In most cases, every other year is the longest amount of time you should go without your broker bringing you multiple quotes or testing the market at least. So do you have a system where something automatically generates multiple quotes for your current clients? How do you track that? Yeah, that would be nice if such a thing existed. But no, we go through and manually generate new quotes. I talk to underwriters 25 times a day. Literally? Yeah, literally. When I get off this podcast, I'll be picking up the phone and talking to underwriters about three deals in Texas that I'm working on right now. And they have to be underwriters from different companies. The best way to drive down pricing in any aspect of life is to provide competition and then use the leverage created by that competition to lever them against each other to drive pricing down. Mm -hmm. So that's my big point is if you're not getting multiple quotes or not testing the market, then your agent's not using a very powerful tool of leverage to drive your pricing down. And if I know that it's a really good opportunity for me, those are the type of accounts that I jump on myself instead of passing to a team member. Is there a second place most commonly asked question when they initially reach out to you? Or is the first question about how do I get cheaper rates just above and beyond everything (laughs) else and nothing really is second place because they're all last place compared to that first question? They are all last place compared (laughs) to that first question. I'm trying to think of, um, frankly, the other question is this isn't going to help your listeners much, but are you able to help me? I've got a project in North Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. I do a lot of marketing. I try and do a lot of helping people through means like this. So I get a lot of people that reach out to me and say, hey, can you help me in Rhode Island? States that you're probably not commonly thinking of. And what's the answer to that? The answer to that is yes. We're licensed in 43 states right now. And if the opportunity makes sense in one of those states that I'm not licensed in, it's just a matter of money. Do I want to pay the insurance department of that state whatever it costs to get licensed. Mm-hmm. So yes, wh- I can help the right accounts all over the country. Why wouldn't you be licensed in all the states? Insurance is kind of unique. There's no national insurance commissioner's office. It's run by the states. Okay. So it's kind of like being an attorney where you have to pass the bar in every state, but it's not nearly as cumbersome. But if I don't have business, and I'm trying to think of a state, I think actually North Dakota is actually a good example. I'm not sure I'm licensed there. There's no reason for me to be licensed there if I don't have any business there. Right. Okay. So it just saves me the 300 bucks in licensing fees a year. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. 
Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. Let's pivot slightly and let's talk about the common pitfalls that real estate investors fall into as it relates to insurance. Sure. So the common theme of this podcast so far is chasing dollars, right? We're trying to get the premium as low as possible, which makes sense, right? As the premium goes down, your net operating income goes up and the multiple that you can sell your building for goes up. So I totally understand the logic of trying to drive premium down, but there's cost. The cheaper the product, the less coverage is involved, right? So Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that we're not cutting off our nose to save some dollars. So probably the most common mistake that I see is on the valuation front. So there's three different ways to value a building in the eyes of an insurance company. That's replacement cost. So your building burns down, they write you a check to rebuild your building. That's replacement cost. That's very good. There's actual cash value, which is that replacement cost number minus physical depreciation, not taxable depreciation, totally different. So if you've got a 75-year-old building, the insurance company is going to come in and tell you, all right, the usable life of this building was 30% used up, 60% used up, whatever. They're going to make up a number and they're going to subtract the depreciation from your replacement cost and give you the difference. So it's a really bad valuation method. If you don't have to use it, I strongly urge people not to use the actual cash value valuation process because it puts the power into the insurance company's hands. Why would they use it? To save money. It's cheaper. You can save six, 8% by using actual cash value versus replacement cost. And the reason for that is because the insurance company is going to give you less money in the event of a claim. Yeah. The insurance company will go light your building on fire one night and save some cash. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So the third and final is the best and lenders are starting to wise up to this and that is agreed value. So what agreed value is, is it's replacement cost. Your building burns down. We're going to give you the money to rebuild the building, except they agree that your valuation is correct. So unlike replacement cost, replacement cost has a co-insurance feature Meaning if you, the investor and the owner of the building undervalue your building purposefully, and the reason you would do that is because it is that replacement cost limit times a rate equals your premium. So if you reduce the replacement cost, your rate's going to stay the same. It would reduce your premium by that percentage. So over the years, the investors had wise up to that and were undervaluing their building saying, hey, if I get a million bucks out of this building, it would cost me a million two to fix it but my note on the building is only 800 grand so I can get a million and I can walk away. That was the logic and that was happening. The insurance companies wised up to that and put a co-insurance penalty, meaning they want you to value your building correctly. So agreed value takes out any potential argument between the owner of the building and the insurance company so that you don't get hit with a co-insurance penalty. 
Okay. At what point is that value assigned? Is it at the beginning when you're signing up for your insurance? Yep, you got it. Every time you get a quote, it's going to have a building limit. That building limit is the number that I'm talking about. And that building limit, if you have a lender, in most cases, it's going to be either replacement cost with co-insurance or replacement cost with agreed value. So the actual cash value really comes into play a lot on cash purchases where you don't have a lender and you tell your insurance agent, I want the cheapest quote, regardless of coverage. That's what they're going to give you at that point. Got it. Okay. So your lender will protect you a little bit from yourself in that standpoint, uh, (laughs) but that's not always the case. Okay. So replacement value is good. Agreed value is better, but do you see agreed value going away? No, I see it coming more into the fray because the lenders are requiring it more and more. And the reconstruction costs, that's what everything's about, right? So the reconstruction costs in Ohio are different than the reconstruction costs in Texas. Labor is more expensive in Ohio than it is in Texas. It's cheaper to rebuild a building in Texas. Now, I don't need to tell you this, but these reconstruction costs are going through the roof throughout the country due to labor (laughs) shortages and lumber shortages. So I'm really afraid right now of co-insurance. We're reviewing every policy that we have that has a co-insurance penalty on it. Mm -hmm. And midterm, it's called endorsing, changing the policy to agreed value so that we can get rid of co-insurance. That makes sense. And you're kind of hedging your bet or your losses proactively in that case. Yeah, correct. And I'll be as quick as I can about this, but co-insurance, let's say you undervalue your building by 30% and you have a $100,000 claim, the insurance company is going to give you $70,000. They're going to take the proportion that you Mm -hmm. are undervalued on your building and give you a payment on your claim of the balance, right? They're going to apply that ratio to any claim payment. So if you are 50% undervalued and you have a $100,000 claim, you're going to be holding the bag for 50 grand. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Mm -hmm. So it can be very punitive. And what concerns me right now is we were really thoughtful 11 months ago when we signed this policy up and lumber costs were X and now they're 3X and your replacement cost went up by double, right? So we had good intentions when we put this policy in force, but the fact is- The reconstruction costs have gone up. You would know better than I would, but I I would say 30 to 50% in some geographies, especially if it's a frame building. So Mm -hmm. even though we had good intentions, we can still get caught by this co-insurance penalty. So internally we're doing that in our office is trying to get rid of any policy that has co-insurance on it. Let's talk about any other pitfalls that you see real estate investors fall into. Are there any other ones? I would say the biggest is you're buying a $3 million building and the lender says, here are the lender requirements. Mm -hmm. And those lender requirements are shared with me and they say, match these lender requirements, don't do anything more. So what's the problem with that? Well, you have to remember the lender only cares about getting their money out of your deal. They don't care that you had to put 30% down or whatever the number is. And on a $3 million deal, you've got 900 grand of equity into this building. They don't care about your 900 grand. They care about the 2.1. So that is my biggest pushback that I get. I'm like, wait a second, you've got to actually pay attention to this because if the building goes up and we only insure it for 2.1 million, but the value of the building is 3 million bucks, you're going to lose out on 900 grand. 
to save yourself 1500 bucks a year. <laughs> right. It is crazy how often I see that. And I understand it, right? Because you have to go through that extra thought process of, wait a second, this lender, they don't care about my equity. They care about getting their self out of my building. So I would be very aware of that. When you see a lender requirement, talk to your agent about it and make sure that you're not just hitting their bare requirements so that you can keep your premium as low as possible. Make sure you're protecting yourself and not just your lender. What bells and whistles on an insurance policy are a little too excessive? I'm not saying this is one, but terrorism coverage, for example. If you're in Akron, Ohio, should you have terrorism coverage on a property? That's a specific question I know about terrorism coverage, but sure. just generally also, yeah. what are some bells and whistles where you're like, all right, that's, that's a little too much. That's a great question. Terrorism is a good starting point. So your property policy will exclude a terrorist act. And the reason for that is because actuaries create all these rates and actuaries can't figure out how often there's <laughs> right. going to be a terrorist attack. So right. if they can't model something, they're not going to cover it. You can model for hurricanes. You can model for storms but you can't model for terrorist attacks. So that's why it's not included. The government has come in and essentially created a program that pays up to a trillion dollars per claim on a terrorist claim. But to your point, in Akron, I would point that out. It's not my decision to make that call. It's my decision to inform you and say, you don't have terrorism coverage unless you buy this bolt-on policy. So if you are afraid of your building getting hit by a terrorist attack, then you need to buy this coverage. It's cheap, but to your point, Akron's got 300,000 people. Let's talk about Smithville, right? In the middle of mm-hmm. the middle of the cornfields. Yeah, I think at that point, you're probably pretty safe foregoing terrorism coverage. One thing to note though, it's not just what you're thinking of, right? A plane flying into a building. Terrorism coverage is when there's a act of terrorism. I'm an insurance nerd, so I remember this very clearly, but when all of the rioting was going on in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. the Trump administration was going to declare that an act of domestic terrorism. In that instance, if the building owners who had buildings down there oh, didn't no. have terrorism coverage, they would have been on the hook to fix it themselves. So wow. that's one of the big caveats of that to make sure you're paying attention to, but it's kind of a unique side little tangent that I went on there. but No, no, that's an interesting example. Again, that's why it's just so important that you're leaning heavily on your agent. Your listeners, your audience are great real estate investors, but they're not insurance experts. So find an insurance agent that knows what they're doing, that's really experienced in the space and lean on them heavily, make them part of your team so that you are not having to try and figure this out and the lending out and everything maintenance and surround yourself with a really strong team so that you don't even have to think about this stuff. That's my job. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. I came up with a terrorism example, but now it's your turn. So yeah, what, are, exactly. <laughs> what, are, what are a couple, as you call it, bolt-on things yep. or policies that it could be a bit excessive in most cases? 
Sure. Flood coverage is a great example. Flood is excluded on all standard policies. You can buy back flood. It's expensive. And your agent in 10 seconds can tell you what type of floodplain you're in. So you could be in a 10,000 year floodplain. Well, the coverage is expensive and you're not likely to ever have a flood issue. There's pollution coverage that you can buy. Legionnaires disease can grow in HVAC systems. Yep. So I saw that cold case files. Yep. Episode. That's going to be excluded on a standard policy. It happens once every blue moon. So there's exposure to everything, but every exposure has a cost of insurance to it. So what I say is consider self-insuring that. Take that risk and put it on your own balance sheet instead of transferring it to the insurance companies. Ordinance and law, which this is funny that I'm saying this because anybody who's listened to other things I've been on, I'm a huge proponent of ordinance and law. So quickly what it is, if you have a loss in your building and your building is out of code, but it had been grandfathered in, in order to get the zoning commissioner to come out and reopen your building, you'll have to bring your whole building up to code due to them being on your property. I had a customer who had an old building, a building built in the 40s, and he only had a $25,000 ordinance and law coverage. And in order to bring his building up to code, it was eight hundred and fifty grand. So he ended up eating just over $800,000 in a claim. I didn't insure that building. That was before he came to me, but I had quoted it for him and I was 1500 bucks more expensive than his current policy. And, and that was just one issue with his policy. But take this one with a grain of salt. If you have an old building, ordinance and law coverage is a must. But if your building is built since 2005, if it's 15 years old, the coverage is expensive. It can be anywhere from three to 15% of the premium. So if your building is new, it's not very likely that there's a whole lot of out of code issues with your building. So that would be a good area to save some money. So between that and flood, you could cut out probably 10% as you're going through it. As we wrap up anything really quick that we haven't talked about that you think we should, as it relates to common pitfalls that real estate investors fall into. Really good question. Right now on a general liability, the property policy is the cost driver. 95% of the premium that you pay in is to property coverage. So that's where all your cost is. But on the general liability side, slips, trips, falls, fights, forceful evictions, anything like that, that's going to fall under your general liability policy. And the insurance companies are really starting to carve back coverage. They're not standardized policies anymore. So a lot of them have pulled out or greatly reduced the limit for an assault and battery issue. So Assault can be anything, right? This is where if you have a tenant that hasn't paid and you knock on their door and they say they're in the shower and they were naked and they say you assaulted them by coming into their whatever, right? And there's a lawsuit around that. You're not going to have any coverage for that if there's no assault and battery coverage. And I would say on most policies now, it is not included or it's a $25,000 kick-in sublimit that's not going to be enough. Because first of all, they're going to pay for your attorneys to defend you. And then if there's a settlement, they're going to do that as well. So I would be very thoughtful about how you purchase a general liability policy to make sure that assault and battery is covered. Animals are excluded a lot on general liability. So if you're allowing animals in and there's a dog bite and animals are excluded from the policy, you're going to be on your own to cover that claim. We've all seen horror stories on the local news about an animal in an apartment building ripping somebody's face, right? 
Mm-hmm. So be very thoughtful about buying a policy that has that excluded. I think those are probably the two biggest ones that we haven't touched yet that I would really pay close attention to. And literally it's $100 of annual premium to get those things included. So a lot of bang for your buck. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? On Facebook, I'm pretty active. I try and do videos. I've been bad lately, but they can follow me on Facebook. And I've talked about all these things on my Facebook page before, so they can jump on and look at old videos. That would be a great way to learn about it. Or if you get in contact with me, we've got a newsletter that goes out. It highlights topical issues that are going on in the insurance industry as it relates to real estate investors or investing. So reach out to me via email or Facebook message, whatever, however you want to get in touch with me, that's fine. I assume you'll tag my contact information to the podcast, Joe. What's your email? Yeah, it's DM Drew McConaughey at MacStrad, M-A-C-S-T-R-A-D as in dog.com. Drew, thank you for being on the show, talking to us about common pitfalls that real estate investors fall into and giving many specific examples of those pitfalls and what we should do. Not just here's how you make mistakes, but (laughs) here's what to do to correct those mistakes. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever weekend and talk to you again soon. Great job. Thank you.